John Otney, Colin Westman, and Sean Lemmy. Almost forgot to say my own name. <laughs> I just assumed everyone already knows who I am since I'm the one that spoke first. Uh, this is The Pick. This is a movie podcast where every episode one of us picks a movie, we talk about it, and at the end of the episode someone else picks next week's movie. No questions asked because that is the power of The Pick. I'm truly trying to ram in that like as our, our slogan, <laughs> The Power of The Pick. That'll be our what our shirts say. Is it like respect power of the pick, or just that is the the pick? Ooh, I mean we don't say respect the power of the pick, <laughs> so I don't know why I should have something that we don't say. So it's probably the second one. As much as I really, I'm gonna start saying respect the power of the pick, <laughs> especially if somebody picks something and it's like, oh, I don't want to watch that. You go respect the power of the pick. Okay, so this is uh, our first October episode. We are into Shocktober, and if you don't know what Shocktober is, head on over to mildlypleased.com, and you'll see we're doing 31 days with 31 horror movie reviews. Every year has a theme, and the theme to this year is the 2010s, uh, a decade of death is what I, what I called it. And I'm pretty excited to get into this. I don't know if uh, you guys, how you're feeling so far. I know we haven't really started quite yet. I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll probably have about three, three or four up. Yeah, do we each, do each go? Is it one, two, three? I think so. I think that's how it starts. But how are you guys feeling going into it? Even if maybe you haven't even watched any movies, but how do you feel emotional? I'm feeling optimistic because I watched the movie out of my selections. I chose, you know, basically just like best of the decade horror movies yeah and uh the first one i watched was the one that i think has probably the lowest uh critical praise of, of any of the ones i chose which was shutter island the Martin very Scorsese controversial film. between me and my brother i liked it it's the first time i ever went to a movie with my brother and we didn't agree on it Ooh, what side it? were you on i don't like it oh no Call shutter island <laughs> um yeah i'm not a huge fan I think it's uh, it's it's good from a technical I think uh, perspective. I don't know. This th- from yeah, the guy I who think... made watch Shock Corridor. I I just don't like the twist that much. <laughs> maybe I'd like it better if I watched it again, and it, maybe it makes sense more than it does in my memory. But yeah, I don't know. I will give an A plus to the uh, the accents. Great accents. U.S. Marshals. <laughs> what was the line? It's all, it all the trailers. I feel like everyone was like into quoting that for a small period of time. The U.S. Marshals. It's got a good uh, score too. Lots of like uh, in the music. <laughs> you know, it also has a lot of funny noise in it. Our movie that we're talking about today. Yeah. Insidious. Because uh, that opening title card's like Insidious. It's like. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Scariest title card I've ever seen. <laughs> so we're talking about Insidious, and I, I pretty much picked this just because it works well, because uh, we go in order by year for Shocktober. And it's like, I think it's an okay movie. Like, I don't know that I'd put it in my top even 20 horror movies of the 2010s. Maybe, maybe it's somewhere in the 30s, 40s. 
it's like it's it's competent, but it's not like one of the the best. But I do think it's very interesting for what it did uh, to all, all the people who made it, and to what it did to the genre and where the genre is today. So we're gonna get into that, and that's going to be an interesting conversation. But first, we got our little picks. Little picks. This is where we recommend other stuff before we get into the big pick. I guess we don't really call it the big pick. I do. <laughs> Here's the big. And I'll go first. I'll be quick. Uh, so this week I'm going to be picking a mobile game. I'm going to go with What the Golf. What the Golf? Uh, App Arcade is available now for people that like mobile games. And I've tried a handful of them with my free trial. And this has been, I think, my favorite, actually. I mean, Sayonara Wild Hearts is a better game. But this is the one I've really sunk a lot of time into. And I guess if you want to explain it, it's, it's, it's tricky. It, it kind of starts as seeming like a regular golf game. Like, oh, yeah, I'm just hitting it to the hole. I'm hitting it to the hole. Then I think it's third hole. You, you, know, you, you cue up your, your shot, and then you fling your body across the course. And then it becomes a series of bizarre mini games based around golf where, like, you're trying to throw a couch to the green. Or maybe it's a soccer ball. I'm at this level right now where it, the whole game is now into super hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's insane. It's crazy. And what I like is all the levels have like uh, there's like a challenge where it's like you try to meet a certain par, and then there's like another challenge where you can get like a crown. And when you get a crown, you unlock little items. So you're tempted to replay every level and get mm-hmm. all the achievements. I have no idea how long the game is. I have no idea if I'm close to the end or if I'm not even halfway. It seems like there's a lot of uh, decorations you can get for that room. So there's a lot of tables. It's like all these little. Like, totems kind of fall on a table in this big uh, room and i didn't find out until just a few minutes ago that this was developed by triband who did uh keyboard sports which is a game that i played at pax a few years ago (laughs) which as far as i know isn't out so what the hell where's this where's keyboard sports what's this game coming out keyboard sports another really invented game that you play all with your keyboard it's like a cute little little guy and you gotta type you know the letters it's like type to learn but you know more intense I really like this game too. It's definitely scratching the um, WarioWare itch that I had. Definitely. That I forgot existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just want like these quick, disposable, inventive little levels, and then you get to try something new. Try something new. Try mm-hmm. something new over and over again. And, uh, and going through it for the first time, don't make the mistake of just playing each level once and moving on. Definitely go back for those challenges. So I feel like a lot of the times those uh, make the new mechanics introduced by level much more interesting. Uh, one of one of my favorites early on is the like Spider-Man one where you or like cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get like a grappling hook. Those are cool for yeah. your ball, and you swing around. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's all really all I have to say about it. Uh, I don't really think Applicate is what four ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you play a lot of mobile games, it might be worth it. I assume this is a, available to is it available to outside of Apple games? Probably, right? Probably, but why would you? I mean, it's only five bucks a month. Yeah, and then you can play their other catalog. And there's been some other interesting titles, but that's the one that I'm. It's distracting me from trying out the other titles. I'm going to waste my whole trial playing <laughs> What the Golf. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been Check a cool debut for that whole service. Uh, you know, when you when you think of a like a brand new gaming service launching, you don't think it'll have so many uh, potential hits in the mix. But like John said, there there have been games like this one and Sign Wild Hearts. Uh, what's that one that everyone's Overland? Yeah, Overland was a little too scary for me. Too scary. It's too <laughs> pressure. 
Because yeah. it's like it's kind of like a strategy game where you're moving a couple spots at a time, and then there's like an alien that's also moving in a couple of spots at a time towards you. And I'm like, this is way too intense. I can't take this. Uh, one of my favorites so far has been Grindstone, which is like a uh, it's sort of like bejeweled, but it's in the style of a, like a you're like a Viking slashing your way through these hordes of monsters. It's cute uh, and addictive, and it's nice to play mobile games that aren't all about. Making that money, like gun to battle, gunplay warfare. Is that what you're going to pick again this week, Sean? <laughs> no, I'm not. What are you going to pick this week? I did pick a video game, though. Um, you guys had to know this was coming. I had to cash this chip in at some point. Uh, it's the spooky season, and there's no place spookier than the moon, at least in the Destiny universe. I knew it, Destiny. Uh, Destiny 2 Shadow Keep came out this week. It's the... Uh, New expansion for the game that also coincides with New Light. They're uh, making the game free-to-play at the base level. So anyone with any interest in a modern gaming system can try out Destiny. Uh, and more importantly, you can play your account on any of those consoles too. So uh, your purchases don't transfer and you can't do cross-play. But I could, for example, play on Xbox or PlayStation with people. Instead of just on PC, which is where I've been. Uh, but yeah, Destiny 2 is like, you know, my favorite game or whatever. Uh, and it Your keeps favorite getting... thing. <laughs> Seems like it. And, and it just keeps getting better. I think the last year was, was the best year uh, out of the five that this franchise, this franchise has existed in. And Can you rank all the years? Yeah. Uh, so year two of Destiny 2. Why did you ask him to do this? Uh, <laughs> below that would definitely be year two of Destiny 1. Uh, then year three of Destiny 1, year one of Destiny 2, and year one of Destiny 1, in that order. Yeah, I don't know why that's that. It's just like hearing a bunch of random numbers. <laughs> well, now you know you got it and the listeners got that. Yep. They got the facts. That's what they, they're, they're listening to. That's all that matters. Um, and yeah, the, the story so far has been cool. Uh, they were back on the moon, which is the scariest place in the Destiny universe, so... The uh, October release date is appropriate, and uh, it's just it's just a hundred percent my jam. What can I say? <laughs> Could you say that about your little pick, Colin? Is it one hundred percent your jam? I think it is. It's got some jams on it. Uh, it's an album. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I've been a little like tuned out of pop culture for the last few days since I've been moving and whatnot, but. No, I've listened to a few times, and I'm really digging it so far as the debut solo album from Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes. Uh, it's called, actually, I'm not sure if it's Jamie or Jaime, uh, but it's really good. It's more kind of in a, I don't know, R&B, funk, like jazz vein than... Alabama Shakes, which is a little little more rockin', but I think the last album they did also kind of saw them expanding their sound, and, and Brittany Howard's definitely doing on this album with, you know, kind of some interesting uh, unorthodox production uh, techniques, like the way she uses backup vocals and just her voice, which has always been pretty great, is, is really interesting. <laughs> Uh, is this is this the end of Alabama Shakes? Is she just solo now? I'm not sure. I don't think so, but I don't know. I've never been like 
a super fan of them. I, I mean, I like them quite a bit, but um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert on their timeline right now, but I don't think there's any announcement about them breaking up. I'm sure they'll get back together, though I suppose it has been a little while since that last album. That was 2015. Yeah. Huh. So I don't know, but uh, this is good. <laughs> What's... I guess she is kind of the biggest selling point of that band, so I, <laughs> it wouldn't be that surprising if she just went solo. Yeah, totally. She's got such a great voice. She's she's the only singer I can think of where you can like really hear her like, I don't know, like her lips or her cheeks or something. Like you just you just feel like you're in her mouth when she sings. It's cool. Or or just like her vocal cords, what <laughs> what they're doing at any given moment. Yeah, it's very anatomical. Yeah. And I do wonder if that has to do with the way her voice is recorded. I don't know. Or maybe just her voice in general. I don't know. Don't yeah. take this away from me. It's cool. It is cool. Um, yeah. I like I like this album, even though I've only listened to it a few times. But I see myself coming back to it. I'll have to check it out. I definitely got to check it out. Both the first two Alabama Shakes, both on my top ten years they came out. So. Yeah. Wow. I used to play that shit all the time, Barnes and Noble. That second album, especially. Yeah. The place was a rockin'. Take that, Kenny G's Brazilian Nights. <laughs> never play, never play that CD once. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not. No, fire me first. <laughs> Luckily, no one else played it either. Pretty scary. Pretty insidious. Dalton's room. There was something in there with him. I know someone who can help. We took Trifield and EMF readings of the whole house. Wiring, alarm plugs. I don't think bad wiring is the problem here. I want to leave. I want to this house. So let's talk about Insidious. 2010, directed by James Wan, produced by... Jason Bloom and written by Lee Winnell. This movie cost a measly 1.5 million. It made 97 million at the box office. Pretty nice penny. Uh, but let's let's get into the origins. I talked about how this is an important movie for the people involved. Um, so let's go back and let's talk about James Wan first. Uh, James Wan, uh, Aussie. Do you guys know that? Mm-hmm. Australian. Oh. I didn't know that. Not a lot of famous Australian, so I just thought that was that's a bit of a fun fact for people that don't know it. So, uh, yeah, he got his start um, in Australia. Him and Lee Winnell were, were buddies. They went to a film school together. Not like the nice film school in Australia, like the, the, the not as nice one, I guess. <laughs> they only had the two? <laughs> they only had the two uh, in the whole place. Um, I think James Wan had made a movie before their debut movie. Uh, but it's as far as I know, impossible to find. It's called like Stygian. It looks like zero zero budget. Like <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'm gonna find that movie someday. But of course, uh, they liked horror, and uh, they worked on a script called Saw. You guys heard of the Saw movie? I have. Uh-huh. I haven't actually seen it. Yeah, Sean hasn't seen it either. You know, they're making a new Saw that's coming out. I think next year. So maybe that'd be a good opportunity to watch the first one again. You know, when Saw came out, it just sounded so, like, 
like I think that's the first time I heard the, the term torture porn and I think it's often seen as the poster child for that and um, that whole concept just seems so off-putting to me but clearly I was wrong because that genre took off from there and I and I think just in general the the genre of hyper violent movies whether they be horror or action has been part of our culture basically since then so my bad all right so here's where i want to weigh in on torture porn and saw i don't think Saw, despite the fact that it is like i said the poster child for torture porn is a torture porn movie it's not that violent i saw saw when it came out in theaters it was the first rated r movie that i'd ever seen without a parent oh my mom bought tickets for me and my brother paul was probably what like eight (laughs) or something (laughs) nine when saw came out and dropped us off and I was totally into it, but it, but I was like pretty scared going into it because like this is like super super violent, right? That's sort of insane. And I walked out of it and I had a, had a great time, but I was like, eh, it really wasn't that violent because the thing about the first Saw movie is uh, it's always like them finding the people after puzzles after they failed the puzzles. So in that first Saw movie, you really never see any grisly things happen. You just kind of see the aftermath, you see like a torched body, and I guess that's a little violent. But even that, you don't see much of it. You, you could edit this movie, just a few edits, and make it a hard PG-13. Hmm. It's really more of like a thriller detective movie where like Danny Glover's trying to get to the bottom of this while two guys are in a room. And there's a bunch of flashbacks in their lives and stuff. Not that violent. Now, the other Saw movies, you're super violent. But that yeah. first one. That's where I'm hearing things like someone has like, a, they need a key and it's like in their head. So they have to like dig through their eyeball to get the key. I think that's the beginning of Saw 2, yeah. Just, oh my god, horrible stuff. People just ripping off their faces and stuff. Jesus. <laughs> you know, stuff like rip off your face, rub his face, switch faces, you know. Just one of those. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty intense. Um, but yeah, they made Saw, and it was a huge hit. I think they were really ready for it. Um, but then they were like automatically thrust into it. What's your next movie? What's your next movie? What's your next movie after Saw? Mm-hmm. And what was funny, as I was, I was listening to this interview with Lee Wanell. Um, I guess I didn't specify. James Wan is the director, and Leigh Whannell writes a lot of their work. And he also acted in Saw. He was the guy that wasn't Carrie Elwes that's trapped in the room. But Leigh Whannell said that they were like in, a, I think maybe it's Universal Studios, and they were pitching a logo. Whoa. <laughs> and this one's like, let's make that your next film. And then suddenly they're thrust into like trying to come up with this movie with no time. Like they, they, they said, like, we didn't have any ideas, and they're just writing and working and making it. And that's how the movie Dead Violence exists. Dead Silence, the movie about a, a, I guess the ghost, this crazy ghost ventriloquist lady who had like a hundred dummies. And when she died, they were all buried. And there's some curse and all the dummies come back. And up to like Donnie Wahlberg to get to the Donnie bottom. Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah, you see, it's already disappointing, right? Uh, I saw that on a vacation in Hawaii, Japanese subtitles. Did that help? It didn't hurt it, but I don't think it helped it. <laughs> It's a totally goofy, ridiculous, stupid movie. But James Wan and Lee Winnell, they hate it too. They're like, we just weren't ready. I mean, there's there's some interesting stuff in there, I'm sure. But it's like, you know, suddenly they're thrust in this position they're not uh, prepared to deal with. And then James Wan is just kind of like looking for any way to stay afloat. He makes Death Sentence <laughs> with Kevin Bacon. I haven't seen that one, actually. I think it's maybe it's something to do with Death Wish. Maybe it's based off a Death Wish book. I think those are books, right? I'm not sure. Oh. Uh, but that sentence, also a huge bomb. Like, you know things are bad when you go to a filmmaker's um, Wikipedia. I'm pulling up James Wan's Wikipedia. And it says, um, 
setback. Like that's the <laughs> name of a whole whole area. Like it's crazy to think where you look at like where James Wan is today. He's a fairly successful director. You got James Wan presents as something to to sell a movie. But there's a period of time where he was like basically almost done. He was like lower than where Eli Roth is now. Wow. That yeah. must be terrible. <laughs> Uh, and he was trying to find a way to bounce back. Um, but the Saw movies were still doing really well. I mean, he, him and Lee Winnell really only involved with the first one. I think Lee Winnell may have written the third one. But aside from that, they didn't direct any of the other ones. They didn't. They left it after the first one. they produce one. them? They produced them. So they're, they're still making a paycheck. But they weren't like really... People were like, are these guys really good filmmakers? I'm not really sure. But... So here's the funny thing. So Saw, it's going on for a while. It comes out every year. Always a big hit around Halloween time. So always opens, always opens to number one. And I think it was, what, whatever Saw movie came out in 2009. I want to say Saw 6, maybe 5. And it Saw finally got dethroned. And do you guys know what movie dethroned Saw? Paranormal was Activity. It? Yeah, that's what I was it, it was Paranormal Activity. And do you guys know who produced Paranormal Activity? Jason Blum. Jason Blum. Which was his big breakout, because Jason Bloom before that had done like crappy, like Luke Wilson level comedies and dramedies. Like he hadn't really found his. Did he do that one where Luke Wilson made money on the internet? <laughs> Which one is this? <laughs> all I remember, yeah. all like I remember, invented is... internet porn. Yeah, he like invented internet porn, <laughs> and there's a scene in the trailer where he's like, "A oh, check for a million dollars under a candy everywhere. bar." Wow, look at all that. Look at all that porn. I just like that quote. <laughs> Uh, find what that movie is. <laughs> like, I don't know, but I don't think that was uh, something he was involved with. Um, but parent, but he produced Productivity, and then that was finally like a big hit for him. It's like, well, maybe I should. This should be my future. Is is doing very low budget, high concept horror movies, and so he crossed paths with um, with James Wan and then Insidious, which I feel like really sets them both on the right path because I feel like Insidious very much sets the. Um, the style for what Bloomhouse movies are today, where it's like high concepts, uh, minimal locations, low budget. That's pretty much the Bloomhouse model. I've also heard James Blum say that part of his model is he likes to bring in filmmakers who maybe have had like a, a bomb or a miss. He likes to because he thinks they're hungry. He wants to try to give them another shot. So this is like the first time he ever did it. Was like his first big narrative horror movie if i mean i don't know if paranormal activity is considered narrative because it's found footage so this is like his first real real movie not to not, not paranormal activity anyway and uh, and i think for james wan and lee Winnell, this is a chance to do a movie that people can't be like oh it's just a gory thing because it's not a gory movie i don't even know if it's rated r it's probably pg-13 insidious i don't recall anything violent in the film so I think it was a chance for them to set themselves apart from what people perceived they were. And Jason Blum, and they all come together and they make Insidious. Let's talk about it a little bit. Um, story's pretty basic, pretty familiar for the first bit. Uh, do you guys want me to, uh, to to go, or does anyone else want to chime in with, uh, with, the, with the beginning of the movie? I... Uh... Sean looks like he's preparing. I'll do it. <laughs> You're so good at it, Sean. I'll need help with the character names. I mean, I don't. I have to look them up to remember. Okay. I feel like I've memorized them. So Patrick, There's Josh. You could just say yeah, Josh, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne are um, recently moved into this huge house. 
sort of inexplicably because he's like a high school teacher and it's like a already like I, that was one of my biggest questions in the movies how did they got how they got that house um and she's like a songwriter i guess uh, well it seems like aspiring probably not mm-hmm. established yeah i think they may even say something about her like putting her career on hold to like focus yeah. on writing songs and taking care of her kids so they got they got three kids they got uh, two sons and a young daughter i believe a baby and two boys at the very least and uh, they moved into this house and um immediately some weird stuff starts happening um i think the first thing one is uh is roseburn can't sleep and she goes down and she puts some books on the bookshelf and she comes back later and those books are scattered all over the floor so clearly shenanigans are afoot also an important thing it's not really spooky but you later you're like oh dude that's so important was that she's like which she um with her son played by ty simpkins dalton is the character name the jurassic Rookins. world boy jurassic world boy really oh, okay it's a world boy how long was that guy kid, guy that kid a kid is that <laughs> <laughs> what's the gap there i guess it's only like four years he's pretty young in this but they're looking at a photo album and she's like he's like why aren't there more pictures of daddy oh yeah 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 and like later we know that's later we'll find important. out <laughs> yeah uh, books falling off shelves, creepy noises, uh, creepy baby monitor at some point. I forget what calls her up to the attic. I know she's looking Boredom. for the, the box that she eventually finds up there. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I feel like something else draws her to the attic. But uh, all you really need to know is she's a stay-at-home mom with young kids. And Patrick Wilson is way too serious about his job at school he's not making time to to take care of stuff in their new home um and so one night while their family's gathered together watching tv uh jurassic world boy goes up into the attic and uh, he's climbing on the ladder uh, which is conveniently there to help people uh, pull a string to turn the light on in the attic and it breaks and he falls and he hits his head uh, and as he wakes up a little based from that something gets him something insidious something very insidious and uh the parents hear this and they run upstairs and they find him and the poor boy's unconscious and they take him to the hospital and the doctor's like oh he's just asleep and that's kind of the deal with the for the first of this movie is they uh they months pass and this boy He's not in a coma, but he's just asleep. He won't wake up. Um, and so they take him back home. And, uh, and freaky shit starts happening around the house. Let's let's take a break before we move on to the second half. So we got this first ha- half that's just like creepy stuff happening happening around the house. Very paranormal, paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. Is any of this interesting pre-coma? No. I don't think so either. It's funny. We sat down and watched this movie and I was like, why do I like this movie again? Like... It's the most stock stuff too. It's like, and like, I don't mind it being a little stock if you add in some other details here and there. Just little things like about the characters. Like, it bugs me that we never know what Patrick Wilson teaches for some reason. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like we really know the characters that well. I was also wondering, does this movie need three kids? Yeah, they really. <laughs> like, is there a baby that we do? I feel like yeah. there's a baby we don't even ever see. 
Like the baby uh, was there early on. so that the baby monitors can be used in a creepy way. That's it, right? Yeah. That's the only reason. It's like, couldn't you have thought of some other way that's creepy to communicate with ghosts? Like a, a kid's like a kid's toy, you know, those Fisher-Price price telephones? Maybe we'll get <laughs> one of those and there's a voice on the other end. And it's not like we haven't already even seen a baby monitor. I think about signs when I think baby monitor and mm-hmm. the creepy is coming from the baby monitor and that. It's also um, disappointing because when the movie gets interesting later, they're just like, well, the kids are at a different house. They're just right out of the movie. Yeah, they're just, they're done. I guess it's an interesting dynamic having the one kid who is still around, and but he's kind of being ignored. Not, not, I mean, not in a mean way, but they're just, they're so focused on their son that's in a coma that they can't focus on their son. But they only give that one scene. Yeah, there's clearly an opportunity there to do some freaky stuff because he talks about... How he doesn't like that his brother gets up and walks around at night, which is which sounds really freaky. Um, but all we see is the middle child closes his door one night. They could have gone for such a great scare too if he opened it again and the kid was on the other end. I was waiting for that. I was gonna be like, if that happens, I'm gonna be so fucking scared. But they didn't do it, so I was only a little scared. Or if like when he finally closes the door, you see behind him there's something already in the room. Yeah, there's a there's they went a little too minimal. I, I guess they were trying to ramp up, but. I mean, who the fuck cares? Like, we know what this is. We know this is Boo Haunted House, the movie. <laughs> Give me some some Boo moments. Do we even see any ghosts before the coma? Before the coma? I don't think so. Uh, I don't remember if we see anything. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know that we need to if, if we're going to okay. build up to that thing and a half where we're seeing all sorts of ghosts. That's true. But it's just like, that part's so fun. Why can't we have some of the fun spread back into the first part of the movie? Because that first part is takes a while, man. It's mm-hmm. like half an hour at least. So, a little strange. Um, so, Colin, you just moved into a new place. Uh, <laughs> any uh, any spooky things happen, happen there so far? Um... No, not really. Because, <laughs> you know, Colin, I learned from a movie, uh, you may have heard of it, it's called The Sixth Sense, that there's a lot of ghosts in Philadelphia yeah. just walking around. <laughs> yeah. And you know what the crazy thing? Sometimes they don't even know they're dead. Yeah. So you might have actually seen one if you could see dead people. Yeah. I mean, there's also lots of, like, unbreakable men and men with split personalities. <laughs> Superheroes, ghosts, after Earths, all sorts of stuff yep. in, in Philly. Um, I want you to start a new segment on the podcast since you're filling out to do like uh, you like looking into M. Night Shyamalan related stuff like the birth secret of M. Night Shyamalan. You guys know what I'm talking about? That documentary? Yeah, I'll get to the bottom of the very secret of M. Night Shyamalan. You're you're on on his home turf now. Yeah. So. You're on his level. You're on his level. Tread lightly. Uh, Okay, so yeah. uh, Let's... Let's let's get to that second half of the movie. Uh, kids in a coma. They don't know what to do. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There are some real freaky encounters that Rose Byrne starts having. Uh, she, uh, you know, here's the baby monitor, and she goes up and she picks up the baby, and there's like a guy like walking around, and she's freaked out. That um, guy with like the slick back hair is the first ghost we see, right? I think so. Uh, he's okay. <laughs> You know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but seeing that there are some ghosts here that look pretty fantastical, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, I guess there's a reason for that, because some of these ghosts are just dead people. 
But I don't know. Give him like a weird eye or a gashed in forehead or yeah, I don't know. Come on. He just looks like some injury. guy who's walking around and he's like. <laughs> I guess that's good enough. I always love when the ghosts are just as scared as the people. I definitely recognize that guy from a Saw Trap. Oh, really? <laughs> I couldn't remember what his particular trap was. I think it's something from Saw 2. Huh. Um, something. Yeah, it's gross. I'll get, I'll get at that later. So as you might expect for this type of movie, Rose Byrne uh, is freaked out because she's the one who's in the house all the time. And she convinces Patrick Wilson that they need to move, that the house is haunted. Uh, and he's clearly like, okay, whatever. We'll move again. I have to give this movie huge points for that, though. Because so often in these kinds of movies, there's a scenario where you feel like the characters can get out of this, but they're like, no, no, we can't. Let's just keep, let's just see what happens. Yeah. I really respect this movie's like, let's move. Let's get away from the haunted stuff. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like the movie was so good, like so close to being really good on all those fronts, except later on. They have to have the one scene where Patrick Wilson's like, I don't believe in this bullshit. He has zero other options (laughs) aside from engaging with these people who want to help him. He's like, no, we're just going to see what happens. Our son's only only been in for like four months. He'll be okay, right? (laughs) He'll get over it. And at least at that point, they just do one scene after that where they set up the wall of pictures. And then they just go right back to He's I'm in. Yeah. So they they don't stew on that. So they they move to a new house. Um, Rose Byrne uh, gets a scene with... Patrick Wilson's mom. Uh, Lorraine, played by Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey. Uh, and she's super supportive of Rose Byrne, which is nice. Also, she's super surprised that she has a picture with her of her and Patrick Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but she's like, how did you get him to take picture? John really remembers the picture stuff. <laughs> it's really it's important. important. <laughs> you got to remember that stuff. Because at the end, you're going, what? <laughs> um... But one day, uh, while uh, while Rose Byrne is walking around the house listening to a record, she sees children running around the house that don't exist because they they're all old timey. I do like that scene where the, uh, there's a kid dancing to that. I think it's the tiptoe through the tulips song by Tiny Tim. Mm. She goes outside, sees the kid dancing inside. Was it the same? Nice was it the Tiny Tim song all the way? Or was she playing something else first and got changed to that? She was playing a different song entirely. I don't think anyone just casually puts on tiptoe through the two clubs <laughs> unless you kind of weirdo. No. She, was, she like was walking around and her record scratched. And then she like laughed her and she like went outside. And then she looks in back into her place. There's a little kid dancing. She goes back into the house. No kid. She goes into like a bedroom. And the kid fucking comes out of a cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised he didn't go. And just runs around. They're saving all that bleh stuff for that one <laughs> slick back hair guy. You should just called it bleh. Oh my god, uh, that's a uh, topic. But when I was talking about Dead Silence earlier, yeah. Do you know what the original title to Dead Silence was? Shh. <laughs> how good would that have been? Ooh, how, do you know how many H's? I don't. I mean, what sense? It looks like that's what the dummy's doing on the poster. Because I think that was the logo they were pitching was a dummy with a finger over top. I wonder if they ever – does James Wan have a production company with a logo like that? I don't know. I'll have to look that up. But, uh, but Lee Wynnell said one of the reasons they changed it was because he didn't want people to write reviews that said, shit. <laughs> like, people are going to make fun of it. <laughs> I don't think that's very professional film. Do they look like uh, Chicago Sun-Times? Can they post shit? 
shit. <laughs> One of Rod Hubert's last Peter reviews. Travers' one word review is just shit. Shit. Uh, sorry to get off topic there. Okay, so yeah, little scary kid ghost. At some point, uh, Barbara Hershey says, like, I can help. I'm not sure which particular event it is that leads them to, like, oh, we need to take this up a notch. But obviously there's creepy shit going on. So she reaches out and they bring in two uh, ghost guys, whatever, ghost supernatural expert. I don't know what you call them. They probably had a name for their business, but I've forgotten what it is. Yeah, I don't remember it either. They got a van. They got a van. They're, they're two nerds in, uh, in short sleeve uh, white shirts with ties. Uh, Tucker and Specs. Tucker is played by Angus Sampson. And I was watching one of these uh, Insidious movies earlier this year, and Colin pointed out to me that Angus Sampson was in Fargo season two as one of the one of the brothers of the yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because Patrick Wilson also and Patrick Wilson, yeah, yeah also Fargo season two, and uh, Lee Winnell himself plays Specs the nerd, and we know he's a nerd because his name is Specs. And he has like that action figure where he's like, "This is a Starfleet uh, series one. Series one should have left it in the box." Such a nerd. Uh, I don't know that these really really into these characters that much, but I definitely like their introduction into it. They're very goofy. It's fun. I'm into it, and I love their ghost gears. In particular, they have like a what do you call that thing? The Viewmaster. Yeah, like the like a little kid would have. And I feel like they kind of like offhand explain like how it helps, like it detects different energies. But I don't know. Well, I guess it's funny because I think the other guy's like, it's a toy. <laughs> uh, you know, because he's just like uses like a Viewmaster flick, flick, sees different uh, hues, shades of color. And then. Bleh! And it's funny because they see, they just see one ghost and they're like, fuck, we need to call him the big ghost. We need to call him the big ghost. <laughs> like, what did they normally. And I've seen these in the movies now, so I know they've seen ghosts before. Well, maybe most of the time they're just fakers. Do you think they just send the these guys to go check out just to see if it's legit, sure and then if it's legit, legit then yeah. they bring in, uh, they bring in Elise. Elise. Uh, so let's talk about Elise because I don't think there's much to say about Tucker and Specs. I like them. They're funny. They sort of have like a Ghostbusters dynamic where they're undercutting each other all the time. I feel like Tucker in particular is kind of wasted because I've seen some other things with Angus Sampson and he's very funny and interesting. And... I like the running gag at in the final battle. He keeps picking up bigger and bigger flashlights. Yeah. To, to light up the ghost. That's that's funny. I would have liked to have for them to have a little more to do, especially because like this movie doesn't really have much in the way of character at this point. Um. I mean, even to the point where like it seems like Rose Byrne is the main character at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But then she's just kind of, she's there for the ride for the rest. That was so disappointing to me that she's, like, she's the one going through this ordeal. And then they make the ending all about Patrick Wilson. Where all she can contribute is being like, I'm here, come back. Okay, so let's talk about Elise. Elise is uh, Tucker and Specs. Uh, they work under her. She's, I guess, a medium. She can speak to, uh, she kind of like almost, I guess, astrological, uh, uh, astral project. You know, we haven't even gotten into that. I've totally forgotten about that. I guess we should well, get into this, that. Well, right this is now. the scene where this they is the scene where we learn about it. This yeah. is where we learn about it. Where we learn this whole problem with uh, this family being haunted is not that their house was haunted. And now they've moved to another haunted house. It's that their son is haunted, which I again pretty cool. I like yeah. that. I've never seen. I haven't seen a movie where it's like your this person is haunted, and they learn that Dalton can astral project. 
So when he goes to sleep at night, he wanders around like another realm, thinking he's dreaming, not aware. And then one night he did this, or I guess uh, he hit his head, and uh, I'm trying to think of how he got stuck. Did he hit his head and then that he got out of his body? Or was it when he went to sleep? I, I think because he went unconscious. He, he went unconscious. He wandered off because he didn't know. That's what he yeah, did he when fell he the lottery, he went unconscious, he got out of his body, and then got separated from his body, and got lost. And now there are all these ghosts that are trying to get to his body. And that's why they keep seeing ghosts, because the ghosts have to... It takes time and energy for them to uh, take over the body. I felt I felt like that was a little too vague for me, but I'm okay with it, I guess, for the most part. It, especially because they're like, it's it's been months. Why hasn't one taken over? And the explanation is, well, it takes like a lot of effort to take over a body. There's a lot of water. But like, what does that mean exactly? Or do they like, it's like, it's like a Dragon Ball Z. They're like building up their, their power levels. <laughs> well, um, and also, uh, the, the immediate first thought I had when they bring up um, the astral projection for the first time is it's not too far after... But Hershey explains that she knew that something was going on in the new house because she had a dream where she was wearing the halls and she saw uh, Darth Maul. Um, but then they don't really delve into she and Astral Projector that much in this movie. So I got to ask, in the sequels, do we find out more about her Astral Projection powers or was she just coincidentally having a dream? Oh, about Elise? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely learned what are all about. Like the, the fourth one is like her origin. So we know all about Patrick Wilson's mom's origin. Oh, wait, which mom? Uh, who are we Patrick Wilson's about? mom okay. talks about a dream where she sees Darth Maul. Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. You don't remember that? I, they definitely have in the second one. It's, it's the scene um, where Darth Maul comes out of the painting behind Patrick Wilson. Yeah. class. It was in the trailer. Classic scene. Uh, yeah, I think in the second movie they do like flashbacks to the mom, but the mom could never astral project. So I'm not sure why she so, ever So she saw. just coincidentally had a dream that seemed a lot like astral projection. Yeah, no, I thought we were talking about um, Elise. I was away from my body when you're talking about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's one uh, ghost or demon or spirit that is closest, and it's Darth Maul. Colin, how do we feel about Darth Maul being in this movie? Pretty good. You know, he needed some work after he got chopped in half in <laughs> Phantom Menace. Yeah, it's good to see him back big screen. Why does it look so much like Darth Maul? It looks like exactly like... It's even right down to the yellow eye color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, I don't know. It's it's tough because I do like it. I think it looks pretty good in certain scenes. So there's a couple like f- more full body shots. Where you're like that just looks like a guy in a circus who's been painted. Yeah, I don't know why they did the thing later on when he finds the boy, where you can see Darth Maul just like walking around his office, sharpening his, his nails. You didn't like that? It's like that was for me. Those were the only shots that took away how scary this guy looked because you just see him like treating himself basically, sharpening his nails. I don't know. Any guy that sharpens his nails while seeing the tiny Tim is pretty scary to me. I do expect that this movie goes for um, people in makeup and costumes when they do the ghosts. They're not CGI ghosts, which I think a lesser movie might do. Mm -hmm. Also, a fun fact is that uh, the demon is played by the film's composer for a season, Joseph Bashara. He's not normally an actor, but I guess they thought he had a good look. So, like, we're going to paint you like Darth Maul, and you're going to be our bad guy i believe he's uh, the character's name is the lipstick face demon which is a mouthful considering he's in in kind of the signature ghost or demon of the franchise the lsfd uh, yeah i'm sure some people call him that <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, let's let's get to Elise. Um, I've talked about it just on just a little bit. Uh, played by Lynn Shay, who up to this point was mainly like a B horror movie actress. She had bit parts and stuff throughout the '80s and '90s. Her brother is Bob Shay, who's the head of New Line Cinema, and he's kind of uh, the head honcho behind the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So I think Shay's mm-hmm. in two of those actually. <laughs> Uh, she's also the scary, uh, well, scary to me, the tan lady from uh, There's Something About Mary. You guys remember that character? Uh, I don't. Come on, you gotta remember that. The lady, she's like Cameron Diaz's friend or neighbor. She's like way too tan. Okay, yeah, that sounds familiar. She's like to like a gross extent. She's yeah, like sure. Brown. Yeah. Gotta have some... We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to pick that. Huh? There's something about Mary. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember that? Surely you guys remember Har- Harlan Williams. In that movie, and his, okay, what's his deal? He's talking about his exercise, like six-minute abs or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or his maybe seven. No, he's like seven-minute abs. Like, oh, so when he comes out with six minutes, no, seven, seven minutes. Okay, that's a detour that was not needed. We on this just podcast. faded to not talk about Elise for some reason. <laughs> Uh, I love this character. I love it because um, you meet her, and she's not one who, right off the bat, is like super serious and solemn about this, despite the fact that it's a serious matter. She's like, she's like your mom's friend. She's like just a really nice lady, and she's really warm. But she's she's a great listener. She's really emotional. She knows what it's all about. But like, she's kind of uh, just kind of gently making her way into it because she wants to kind of learn the situation. And it's it's it. I think it's really cool that they kind of made this the franchise character, despite the fact that what happens to her at the end of this movie makes it hard to make her the franchise character. But that's why this movie uh, series had so many prequels. Mm. And I wonder if they continue to make movies, if they'll continue to make prequels, because they've already made... There's four CS movies, two of them are prequels, and the second one has a lot of flashbacks. <laughs> so... They really like this character, and they really made a mistake. But uh, she's cool. She can astral project. Uh, they, uh, she has a cool ritual where she like wears a gas mask. And uh, what does she attach the gas mask to? Was it the guy's headphones? Yeah, the guy's headphones. And he and he draws. This is something they do in an earlier scene too, where she'll like see visions, and he'll draw them as they go, mm-hmm. which is the specs drawing. And uh, he's pretty fast. And uh, but I thought that was kind of fun. Like even though like I'm like, eh, that, is that really the best thing they could come up with? It it is something I ha- can't recall seeing in another movie because there's plenty of plenty of movies with like ghost hunter guys. I think there's a good point to point out that this movie is very similar to Poltergeist if you think about it. Yep. And I think even James Wan himself has said like, yeah, it's just Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. It's just Poltergeist, mate. Uh, in his Australian accent, because yeah, it's another. It's about a family moving into a place. Their their kid is taken away by the spirits. They get a lady who's an expert with her team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. I guess the edge that this movie has is really going into that other world. They call it the further, which I think was the um, the working title for this movie. Was the oh. further. Uh, they went Insidious and I appreciate they went Insidious because there's a scene where Lin Shay says Insidious and it's like that's the name of the movie mm-hmm. they must have been looking through the script and it's like it's funny because she has there's like a sentence where she says malevolent and then Insidious and I'm like I bet it was between those two <laughs> <laughs> the further malevolent or, malevolent or Insidious those were the, the different ideas for the movie 
Um, but yeah, uh, the further is this realm where ghosts kind of wander around, chill. It's like limbo, I guess, or hell, somewhere between there. Yeah, it's but it's also importantly where you go when you project and you wander too far from your body and you can't find your way back. And I guess Dalton not only got lost, but he was kidnapped by Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. He's which, all chained up, which I thought was pretty damn scary if you think about it, because it's like. So he was just like chained up so for like also, three months. It's also kind of like Stranger Things. This little boy got lost in the other world and he's all chained up. Upside down. Um, it's probably good they didn't call Stranger Things the upside down. I feel like I'm already like barreling towards the end of this. Yeah, I think the other important <laughs> thing they set up in that early scene is um, having the lights turned off makes it easier for them to communicate with the ghosts. Um, because there's a scene where they, where she sees Darth Maul and they turn the lights on and she can't see him anymore. I'll come in at the climax. I was a little iffy on the rules of the ghosts, like why we could see them in our world. Mm-hmm. I guess you had to have something that for people to see early on, but why though? Why can we see them? How can, can we break through into their world without being, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Here's my explanation based on having only seen this one movie once okay, and okay. read nothing. Okay. Um, the ghosts are drawn to the boy because he's haunted and his, his soul's not in his body and they want into the body. So there's just more ghosts around Dalton than there would be in any other place except for another haunted place. But I don't, and, and maybe even because he's haunted, there's like a, there's like special energies in the air or something that makes them more visible. But I, I don't think there's anything that makes it like you can't see ghosts regularly in this world. I think it's just what's the, what's weird is there are a lot of ghosts around because of the Dalton situation. Okay. Which which would have been going on even before he was in the quote-unquote coma because he was astral projecting every night. Okay. I mean, I like that I see the ghosts. Um, just some clarification so I'll, I'll go with what you're saying i mean i've seen the other movies and i can't remember so <laughs> i'm sure that's fine that checks out uh so yeah it, it comes to the point where really the only way they can save dalton is by performing uh, i guess this ritual where um well first they, they try the thing where you know, felice is trying to pull him out i think she is trying to pull him out with the or was she just trying to get a re she's trying she to guide him back thing? to his own body she's trying to guide oh yeah she's like you gotta be quiet because you don't want the other ghost to come through mm-hmm. uh, and that doesn't work out like dalton like stands up in the room but he's like i don't know i guess he's got like his eyes closed and he like makes sense like everyone like with tele- tele- telepathic powers against the walls the, i think the, that was the demon yeah it was the demon was, darth maul got in his yeah. body for lsfd took control i guess <laughs> and he's also he makes specs right like you bitch i'm gonna choke you you bitch bitch you bitch bitch, bitch. Whore. i don't like this guy which we don't see lsfd talk any the rest of the time right it's just that one scene do you think that's why darth maul has so few lines in phantom menace because they had to cut out <laughs> the swearing he's such a misogynist because <laughs> he's always just like fucking bitch i'm gonna fucking kill you whore <laughs> George Lucas is going through a dark period he's ready now. And that's why I had to change voice actors for his cameo <laughs> and solo. Look, and they're like, please, stop saying all that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so that, they're like, fuck, that doesn't work. Um, but uh, Lin Shay, Elise, she talks with Lorraine. And we, we, get, we get to learn at this point in the movie that Josh 
uh, also as a child could astral project. And we go through old pictures of him uh, that his mom has kind of hid from and he's totally forgotten about uh, pictures of him as a child where there's a creepy old woman ghost in the back of the photos that was trying to get him. He was in a similar situation. This old lady was his Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow they made him forget. I guess. I mean, he never got lost in the in the further, so I guess it wasn't the same issue. Yeah, they just I got rid was, of all the pictures. I think it was a classic, you know, Professor X and the X Men movies thing where he uh, put psychic barriers in his mind that cut off his astral projecting powers, but also made him forget this experience. Because not like Dalton or Josh as a kid knew what they were doing; they just thought these were weird dreams they were having. Right. So as long as his mom gets rid of all the pictures and they just never talk about it, it won't exist. And of course, as John's been alluding to, this has left Patrick Wilson with the lifelong side effect of he hates having his picture taken. Because there's a ghost in his pictures. That's when the ghost is getting near him. And so the old woman ghost comes after him. But they come to the conclusion that since he has this ability that he's going to need to tap into that power again and go get Dalton himself. Bingo. Which he surprisingly t- does pretty easily. He can get back into it. I mean, it's it's a fun scene because he doesn't think he's going to be able to. He's like, oh, I don't even know what I'm doing. And it's like, oh, then you're looking at your body. Mm-hmm. Really, all you have to do is like close your eyes and listen to a metronome. <laughs> but I appreciate the simplicity. Yeah. I'm sure this is a lot more exciting pre-Doctor Strange kicking up what astral projection can look like in film. I don't know. I mean, I like, I like, how, I like how simple it is. Yeah, just... I appreciate that. I appreciate it as that, and not like some weird machine or like I need you to chant this phrase over <laughs> and over again. Now, for me, one of the big sticking points is the fact that the further is hidden in their old house they just moved out of. Oh, yeah. Even though they made a big deal out of the house isn't haunted, your boy is, and I think practically it's like. They only had so many sets, so might as well use the house. But it did seem really weird for him to go back there. I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> it is the same house. I guess I just forgot which house they were at. Uh, is it supposed to be like... I guess it probably is supposed to be their house. He got, But it's weird. He got lost. He couldn't find his way back, but he was, only, but he was still in the house when they're... I don't know. But they had moved... Whatever. It's it like a secret room sense. in that house, so I guess it could be anywhere. Yeah, it's the it's uh, what's his LSD? What's his name? LSFD. LSFD's uh, it's got a secret room in the Lambert's old house where he listens to records and sharpens his nails. Sharpens his nails. <laughs> He's also got hooves, by the way. Like oh yeah, well because Darth Maul got legs. So yeah, so you had to get hooves instead. That's <laughs> what they got. Uh, so yeah, uh, Josh goes into the into the further and it's at this point that i really understand uh, why they uh, at one point um turned insidious into like an amusement ride kind of you guys know they do like terror nights at universal studios mm-hmm. every year and they do like theme mazes off of movies like they'll do a stranger things themed maze they did an insidious one and when you're watching this last half of insidious you can really understand what that was probably like it was probably uh going into the further because uh he goes into the further and basically watches like these scenes of violence and murder kind of play out with these uh, with these ghost people that just kind of replay it over and over again. Yep. And uh, that was that was fun. It's like yeah, it's like I'm watching a haunted house. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
uh, you know, they're just doing their thing, killing each other, doing creepy smiles, you know, things that ghosts do, I guess. Sure. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't add anything to the plot. It's just freaky stuff. You gotta put in some freaky stuff. This is where the movie goes balls to the walls, boo haunted house. <laughs> I tell you, they should have called this movie Boo. No, they should have. Okay, they should have. Uh, but yeah, he makes his way through Boo Haunted House and uh, eventually finds uh, Dalton chained up, Darth Maul sharpening his nails, mm-hmm. and Dalton gets free from the chains. How? They just look. It looks like he ripped one of them off. He just rips it off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, it's not the real world. There are no rules. I guess, and I guess even when like. The demon took over his body. He had like superpowers, so maybe having these astral projection powers just gives you superpowers. Yeah. Why did LSFD take over the body for just that one scene and then call it quits? Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Okay, so yeah, they run from LSFD. He's like crawling the walls like a crazy creature. He's got like a devil tail too. He really is just like a devil, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they had to give him the Darth Maul face pattern. They couldn't have just made him an old timey like devil with like a goatee and you know like pitchfork. <laughs> I would have been okay with that. And they get back to the body. Well, as they're well, they're arguing back to the body, and there is one part where Josh is like, "You," like he like he sees something, but I don't think we see it. No, he does. He he sees his old the old um creepy lady in like a mirror. At one part in the film, yeah. confronting his old foe, and and in the while this is going on in the real world, we see that because I guess there's so much astral energy in the house, all these ghosts are just like showing up and trying to get involved, and they have to keep the lights off because the only way they can find the the, the two astral projecting people can find their way back. Yeah. So uh, the the ghost hunters are like using flashlights to keep all the ghosts at bay. That was kind of creepy. That was kind of fun. Yeah. All the ghosts just like like zombies kind of mobbing into the living room. Um, as they're trying to make their way back and they make their way back and hooray and Dalton eats spaghetti (laughs) and uh... yeah so for me the thing is like obviously it's a horror movie and you don't see anyone actually make it all the way back to their body yeah Uh, so I was waiting for the twist but I was really expecting it to be Dalton is the one who didn't make it back because um, the last time you see him uh, LSFD's like crawling on the wall right behind him and he's like running down a hallway. Um, so th- that's my prediction for the sequel. Is it LSFD is in Dalton still? Um, LSFD is like barely, he has a cameo in the second one. Oh, really? Yeah. So is Dalton just good to go? He's good to go. Oh, that's disappointing. Uh, you know, I can see why they went for Josh. Um, obviously, he was, he was haunted as a child, and, and the, the finale here is. Um, Elise, you know, interacts with Josh. She notices there's something off about him. She can tell there's something off about his energy. And she reaches for a camera and takes a picture. And he's like, why did you take my picture? And he chokes her to death. All the way. All the way. A full choke. I said to death. What do you mean? All the way? (laughs) Just backing you up, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, all the way to death. And um, Rose Byrne comes back and he's vanished. And she looks at the camera, and you don't really like see the picture. You you more of just get the audience gets to see like a repeat of the scene, but with like different shots in there. And you see that the uh, the old creepy lady has taken over his body, and so she showed up in the in the picture instead of Josh. So just so you can have that last minute boo, 
but also you can potentially set up a sequel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best way to go. I think you could have done it with the kid. I think the you, you like you could have the kid maybe like go to his room and put on a record, and he puts on that the, the tulip song if you want a uh, a more subtle ending. But I feel like all Bloomhouse movies end with something going Rah! like going really fast up to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> You're next. Like Paranormal Activity ends that way. Sinister, both the Sinister movies end with uh, Bagul jumping out at you. <laughs> oh, we should have watched Sinister. You guys got to see Sinister sometime. Okay. I was Bug- considering it for October. Bagul! <laughs> Who? That's the bad guy in Sinister. It means Boogeyman. Oh, but like the, 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 uh, the historical name is, Bo- is Bagul, as we learned via Skype for Vincent D'Onofrio. It's pretty hate- silly sounding name, but... <laughs> I'm real- Vincent D'Onofrio's word for it. I'm realizing I hate name games in horror movies. Like, Shutter Island had an anagram thing. I'm like, this guy's an idiot. When do you have time to come up with all these anagrams? <laughs> you know? Or what about how, like, in um, in Devil's Advocate, Al Pacino is in his name? Like, what is his name? It has something. It's like John Milton or something. What is it? <laughs> like, is it Lou Cipher? <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, that'd be a good one to watch sometime. I'm gonna look it up real quick. Uh, that's gonna be a trend in horror though, where it's like, oh, you didn't put together the name was the scary thing too. Yeah, and... like fucking Chamber of Secrets. That shit with I am Lord Voldemort being Tom Riddle. It's like I was I was done with that shit in you know second grade or whatever when I read that. Okay, uh, Al Pacino's name is is John Milton, who I think wrote Paradise, Paradise Lost. Lost. That must be um, Angel Heart. I think maybe Robert De Niro's name is Lou Cipher. Lou Cipher. <laughs> now that's great. Get it? His uh, name is Louis Cipher. How many movies have a Dr. Acula in it? <laughs> Not like... I'm sure there's some crappy like movies from like the 40s or something. No. Scrubs about it a lot. <laughs> I think it's um, Son of Dracula, like the old... I think that's a 40s movie where... There's a character named Alucard, and then you find out Ooh. he's a vampire. Don't put that name in a mirror. <laughs> Just Dracula. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we did. We watched all of Insidious, the first one. Uh, did you guys like it? Con, did you like Insidious, or how'd you feel about it? Um. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's kind of a by the books uh, ghost spooky house movie, but. I feel like it delivers on like a, a good amount of like scares. Like it, it, it's it's satisfying in that way. Um, where I think of a movie like Paranormal Activity, where maybe it, I don't know, it it makes you wait a little too long for the scares. But I guess there's something kind of charming about that as well. But I don't know. It, it's an enjoyable in a pretty straightforward way. Yeah, I I think that that second half really saves it though. Like if if the whole movie was the tempo of that first half, it would be a slog, man. Yeah. But once you get into stuff like astral projection and demons trying to take over your body and haunted people, you get kind of more to the mythology, and that's fun because that's something you can build on sequels too. It makes the world feel so much bigger and more fascinating. And you could have a more conventional movie would have leaned in the other direction with a lot of this stuff. Like, it would have had the paranormal investigators, but it would have just had them be, like, bumbling idiots who, like, get killed or something by ghosts. They wouldn't actually be guys who can actually figure it out. Yeah, I don't even think anybody gets killed in this movie until the end. Yeah, that's true. It's not a violent movie. 
It's it's just, it's a boo movie. <laughs> it's a, a lot of jump scares and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Do you guys think you'd check out any of the other Insidious movies? It does kind of leave you on a cliffhanger. I mean, it mm-hmm. wouldn't if you if if you saw that back when it came out because you may not expect a sequel right off the bat. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of intrigued. And the other ones are okay. Like one thing I like is that they've all been written by Lee Winnell. Hmm. He's written all of them. He he directed the third one. Uh, James directed the first two. Um, but they've they've they've. I feel like they've actually kept closer involvement in Insidious than they ever did with uh, with Saw. Even I think it's more their kind of kind of kind of franchise. Uh, something that I'm I'm, I'm interested in uh, seeing how it plays out is Colin. I know for October you're also going to do The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is very similar to The Conjuring, so I'd love to know. In, you know, I don't I don't know what day that review is going to post, but because um, I feel like that might have some ghost hunter type guy. I mean, obviously it has the the Warrens, who are like famous demonologists. One of them being Patrick Wilson, and they're a huge part of the story, trying to help this family with their ghost troubles. Uh, so yeah, and that that series has been like weirdly huge. I'm not sure what it is about The Conjuring. Like, why is that so big and not Insidious? Probably it has something to do with, like, based on a true story. People love that shit. Because uh, now we've got the whole Conjuring verse. And I guess that brings me back um, to what I was saying. I think Insidious really set the mold for what horror movies are today. To the point where I feel like people have complained about a lot of the mainstream horror movies uh, in the same way they complain about some of the Marvel movies and where a lot of them feel fairly similar like yeah. insidious and conjuring kind of similar feeling movies sinister kind of similar feeling movie but the thing is most of them are good like this is a great time for horror movies even most of the conjuring spinoff movies are at least watchable like only a few of them are pretty bad like the nun uh <laughs> and i think this all starts with insidious i think it kind of sets the the style and the mood and the tempo for uh for how you do like the, the mainstream modern horror movie so I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if most people would trace it to Insidious, but I think so because I think of who are the biggest names. Jason Bloom probably being the biggest name. When, did, when is Bloomhouse actually, like, when is that name created? I don't know because, yeah, he produced this, but, you know, as you pointed out, Sean, there's no Bloomhouse Productions logo with the spooky room mm-hmm. at the beginning, though it's kind of considered a Bloomhouse movie today. Kind of in the way that the early, earlier Studio Ghibli movies, you'll see the logo for Studio Ghibli now, even though they weren't Studio Ghibli then. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the first, what's the first movie with the logo? And I wonder if he went in pitching a movie and they're like, "No, you should make that a logo," because <laughs> I didn't know that's how Hollywood works. Where <laughs> logos are very crucial, and they could potentially become movies if you're not careful. Uh, I could mean, I could go on and speculate about this stuff forever, so I, I guess I'll cut it a little bit short. Um, yeah, it's a fine movie. It's not like an amazing movie, but it's interesting. I think it's important. I think it's got some good, some good scary, spooky stuff, and it's got Darth Maul. And uh, he's only been in three movies at this point. No, he's been in a couple of Insidious movies, and he was in Solo. So he's, he's had a good. He's put together a good film career. So he's doing great. He's doing great. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, a Goose. John's Goose, right? That's his name. Uh, in the dream world, you can see a man pumping fog out of a fog machine. Really? Yeah. A whole man? They're just well, there. I guess they thought there's enough shadow to where you could hide it. <laughs> uh, so, whoops, John Scoofs. Uh, and I think 
unless anyone has anything else they'd like to say, we can move on to our next pick. Um, just wanted to say the name okay. of that uh, Luke Wilson movie was Middlemen. Oh. Which was it produced by Jason Bloom? I don't think so. I was looking at his um, filmography. It was not. But you probably saw it. I, I would be suspicious of that happening. No one saw it. I'm suspicious that anyone saw it. Yeah. Uh, so that, there you have it, guys. Check out Middlemen. It's got the pick seal of approval. Jesus Christ. It made $750,000 at the box office. <laughs> Didn't even break a mill. Wow. <laughs> Which is the money they the amount of money they're talking about. So yeah. what a shame. Jesus. Okay, don't uh, this is not have the pick seal of approval. Don't check out middlemen. <laughs> Clearly something went horribly wrong. <laughs> Alright, uh Colin, would you like to share your pick for next Oh episode? yeah. So since we're going through the twenty tens, uh, I thought of fun franchise to take a look at would be Goosebumps the Jack Black uh, big screen I don't know, adaptation I guess mm-hmm. of the, the kids books uh, and also then uh, review Goosebumps 2 which uh, came out last year and I believe is on Netflix now I know John you've seen the first Goosebumps but I'm sure you're dying to see the second one. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm so. definitely not dying. It's been in my like, uh, you know, that site just watch. It's in my just watch like watch list for a long time. Like since it dropped, like day one it dropped on Netflix. I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this eventually. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be better or worse than the uh, than the first one. I can't believe we're gonna watch both Goosebumps movies. Uh, how much time are we getting for this? When are we doing our next one? couple weeks you know could we just do it next friday (sighs) shit sean you know shocktober is going on right now right i do why can't we give it a break of a couple weeks is there something you wanted to pick before well if we do goosebumps next friday and Uh goosebumps do the friday after that i figured then i could just use my pick on the killing of a deer which i would review that day i figured we'd review them in the same show you just want to do a double feature show yeah, I don't I know mean, if we have that. They can't, be that they can't be that different from each other. Got to point out every single book that is referenced. Okay, so we'll take a week off and then come back with a double feature episode. That's yeah, what I was thinking. Okay, so look for that on October the eighteenth. I'll try to do some goosebumps research before then too. Yeah, I only read like means. two of the books. I don't know if I'll read a goose. There's one thing I want to check out. No, I'll save that. It'll be a little secret. I'll share that with you guys. Okay. Um, maybe I'll read a Goosebumps book if I can get my hands on one. Do you think those are available on Kindle? <laughs> I bet they are. Probably. If you had to pick one Goosebumps book to read, which one would you pick? I think it's got to be Night of the Living Dummy. That's the iconic one. The other one I think of is Bad Hair Day because he had a shirt of it. Yeah, I sure did. Uh, but that that cover is way scarier than anything that happens in the in the book. It's just like, oh no, my brother's turning a rabbit. Turning a rabbit. That's not that scary. Where the the cover of the book makes it seem like, oh my god, there's a killer with giant teeth that wants to kill me. 
Um, a funicula. Like funicula. Oh my god! Have they made a funicula movie yet? You ever remember funicula? I do. Wasn't there also Cadenstein? <laughs> now we've gone too far. This is the uh, the funicula expanded universe. All right. I know we got to wrap this up. I'm looking up funicula. So did Benicula um, actually drink human blood? What did he do? I feel like in the end he actually didn't do anything. It's just the kids were suspicious of him. Oh, it's a there's series some, of books, though. There's some sort of underwhelming twist at the end like that. Do you guys want to guess when the first Benicula book came out? 1997. Call um, 1992. <laughs> 1979. 1979? <laughs> I think they reinvented him for the 90s. Oh, my God. Because I'm looking at this old picture, the 70s edition. It's like, this is not my vernacular. My vernacular will look way more hip than that. This is uh, <laughs> this is something uh, different. Uh, yeah, it, lo- it looks more like mystery. Because it's called vernacular, a rabbit tail of mystery. Get it like a tail, but like a rabbit's tail, a rabbit tail of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> Only 98 pages. Maybe make it a little thick. That'd be a fun one to read, Vanicula. Can I bring up one more potential bit of bonus Shocktober programming we could do? Absolutely. Would you guys want to do a podcast where we talk about the Hotel Transylvania trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, but wouldn't you have to like watch them again? I don't think so. You could. Um... I'd have to think about I'd it. I'd have to. I just feel like we watch those movies so, like, half-assed like we weren't paying that close of attention while we were watching them what's the best of them i think the the first first one maybe you're gonna say the third one i was gonna say the third one third one one is better than the second one definitely yeah they're not none of them are off by that much they're all pretty close (laughs) pretty much uh so yeah check out hotel transylvania trilogy check out Benicula rabbit tale of mystery and check out more episodes of this podcast. You can go onto iTunes and search Mildly Pleased, or you can go to our website, mildlypleased.com, where we're celebrating Shocktober, read some of our Shocktober posts, find other episodes of The Pick. 